This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about the incongruent gift of grace, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. So, when I talk about the gift being incongruent, as I've mentioned several times, I'm coming to this from John Barclay's Paul and the Gift. Um as the kind of inspiration for the story series. But when I talk about the incongruency of the gift, what I mean is that we have not done anything to earn or deserve the gift other than being in existence. Mm-hmm. The imago Dei, the image of God within someone is the thing that quote unquote merits them grace. Um, It's the fact that they are loved by their creator God. And so he has made a way for them to receive this gift of grace. That has never been more evident than this text right here in Romans chapter five. And specifically it's it's actually quite scandalous mm-hmm. um, if we really stop and think about what's being communicated in this text that we did nothing to earn this amazing gift and yet it's freely and abundantly given while we were still not even looking for the gift, like while we still didn't even know we needed the gift. Um, It's pretty, scandalous is not a great word, but I don't have another one. Um, Well, it's incongruent. I mean, that's just, that's what it, it it doesn't make sense. Mm Mm-hmm that this gift would be offered to us. And before we jump into the text, you know, I've said it a lot, but both from a Christian perspective and from a deconstructing perspective, I am here because of Jesus. Yeah. So um, let's, let's go ahead and define what incongruence is. Incongruent. Okay. Go um, ahead. Was the was the Webster definition or definition so, you found? That's what I'm pulling up real quick. Um, out of place or ill matched. Yeah, ill matched is the way I'm using it. Right. It. So just in case you didn't know what that word meant, like yeah. that's that is kind of what that is talking about. Yep. That, that that's a good good job. Um, so both from a like Christian perspective and from a deconstruction perspective, I'm here because of Jesus. And one of the reasons I say that so often is because of all the other religions I've studied, the beauty of the Jesus story of God giving of himself on behalf of humanity for the salvation of humanity is unique to Christianity. Yeah. Um, no other religion, including Judaism, 
has that. Um, of the Abrahamic religions, Christianity is the only one that has that. And of all the other ones I've ever studied, non-Abrahamic, none of them have that sacrificial element of God giving of himself for humanity. That's the scandalous piece of the gospel. Yeah. Um, that's the incongruent piece. That, it's the piece that doesn't make sense. How could, the way the story sets up, we be so terrible and continually do wrong and wrong and wrong against God? And as the story tells us, this kind of holy God that demands, that must have righteousness because of his own goodness and justice. And yet, takes it upon himself as an obligation of himself to right our wrongs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very incongruent gift. Mm-hmm. Um, as is evidenced by this text. So this is in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. We were in Galatians... Um, but I kind of felt that like I had exhausted what I wanted out of Galatians and John Barclay moves like his other big hinge texts are Romans five through Romans 11. We're obviously not going to tackle all of them because there's only five weeks of Advent. Right. But, um, in this one beginning in chapter five, Paul enters into a conversation about justification um, and what justification means. And if you don't know, justification is you being justified. It's when you stand before God and you are justified. You are covered. You are clothed. Um, And so you are justified. You are explained away from the impending punishment, the impending consequences of the way in which you've lived your life. That's what the whole kind of metaphor of justification sets up. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So it's interesting that Paul uses the word weak here. Mm -hmm. Does it feel out of place to you? A little bit. Why? So am, am I right in saying that this is the same verse that I've heard my entire life translated as for while we were still yet sinners. Nope. No. That comes um, in verse 8. Okay. Oh, I see. You are correct. My bad. Um, I have no idea why it feels weak. But it it feels out of place. place. But But it does. It does, yeah. You're right that it feels out of place. Um. Nothing nothing in the previous context has given you any kind of metaphor of strength or weakness. And nothing continuing gives you any kind of strength or weakness metaphor. Um, so it fills out a place because it's a one-off. Yeah, I guess that's true. But in the letter context as a whole, it actually makes sense when you get to the second half of Romans and you start interpreting Paul's language of the weak and the strong. Mm-hmm. It okay. makes sense that he's doing it that way. Um, so that's what's happening here with the weak. It's not actually weak. It's that Paul's putting it into a construct for a later argument mm-hmm. that he's making with the strong and the weak in the social class. So he says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. Clayton, let's talk about this for a second. Okay. What's the difference between a righteous person and a good person? Righteous. <laughs> righteous would mean somebody who is in right standing before God rather than a good person who is just of good ethic. Correct. I, whenever the, those words popped into my head, I had to second guess myself real quick, make sure it wasn't my fundamentalism creeping up, but like I felt pretty confident about that. Nope, that's actually what it is. Yeah. And if you needed confirmation, you could just look. Righteousness is in contrast to the ungodly of verse 6. Mm, mm-hmm. Good is somehow some kind of add-on category, but the conversation that Paul's having is actually about ungodly and righteous. And so Paul says, indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Why would you not die for a righteous person? I guess I would say, excuse me, probably because you can't see... Nobody, no individual person cares about your right standing with God. You know, like, maybe like other Christians would, but like, the general population would not care about you being in right standing. They could would only care about whether they can see you being good. Ooh, that's a really interesting way to interpret that. Very cynical way, but... Okay, tell me more. I don't know how to tell you more, if I'm being honest. Um, I really wish you could walk that out for me, because it's a very interesting way to interpret that. I, I mean, and I can't necessarily say that you're wrong. I mean... The way that you asked it, that's where my brain went, right? No, so that, like, yeah. Nobody can look into your relationship with the Lord, mm-hmm. right? Nobody can see if you are in right standing with him. They can only see your ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, which is how you're interpreting the good person. Right. Interesting. Which we already established before was the difference. Um, they can only see how you act with other people. And so, if you're not showing them the goodness and, you know, with the righteousness, fair enough. You see where I'm, what I'm saying? Yes. My, my question to you would be in your reading, and I don't, your reading's not wrong. Mm. Um, I don't see any reason. That's not the way that I was reading it, but now I'm second guessing myself, actually. Oh. Um, in your reading of that, can a righteous person be good? Absolutely. Does a righteous person have to be good? No. I mean, Ooh. well, hold on. Hold on. There are moments where you are more good than others. Uh-huh. Let me say it that way. Categorically, if you are categorically classified as righteous, must you also be categorically classified as good? Yes. So I why guess. wouldn't so why wouldn't someone die for a righteous person but they would die for a good person? You got me. I well I don't know. I don't know. What are you thinking? I think that what Paul's saying is nobody dies for a righteous person cuz their destination is sealed. Mm. Why why would I need to die on behalf of that person? Because they don't need anyone. But I would die on behalf of a good person because they contribute something to the world. 
So I would think that that's fair in the context of one Christian to another. Oh, 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 wait, though. Wait, though. Remember the setup. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Mm -hmm. That's the setup. This second clause is something in contrast to the ungodly. Right. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. I see. What he's saying is he's expounding on the fact that Christ didn't come to die for Christ the wouldn't die for the righteous. Yeah, Christ did not come here to die for those that already believed. He came to die for those that did not. You got it. Fair enough. You got it. I see what I see. I see. I see. I get it now. And it's only in that understanding that verse 8, go ahead, read it, big dog. This is the one you wanted. <laughs> Oh, I did not want this. Go ahead. It's a great verse. I don't know it why is. you wouldn't. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. God is a holy God. Yeah. A holy God is a righteous God and a just God. All things that are categorically characteristics of God. Christ died for us when we were the ungodly, mm -hmm. the polar opposite yeah. of godness. Yeah. That's how you prove your love to someone. Mm. When you love them, even when they don't love you. Yeah. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gift. That's why it's incongruent. Because what we wanted was our own pursuit. I think if I could classify, sum up what all the problems of the Bible are at any given moment, it's the perpetual pursuit of self. Mm. It's pursuing what I want, no matter what the detriment to my relationship with God or with my community is. We could take that into any category of abuse, both horizontal or vertical. I could take that into any context of relationship with God, idolatry. We could put that in any context of violence. We could put that into any context, literally any conflict, tension, context in the Bible. I, I genuinely think can be summed up in the perpetual pursuit of self what I want, no matter what it does to my community or to the relationships I have with others or to God. God doesn't have a perpetual suit of self. God is perpetually in pursuit of yourself. God is perpetually seeking after you, looking for a way for you to be in relationship and right standing and God is perpetually trying to fix the thing that we messed up. Mm -hmm. That's the incongruent. That's, 
that's the piece of the story that makes you go, I've never heard something so beautiful. Absolutely. I think also, if I may, Mm -hmm. tie this back into last week's. Oh, how so? Um, It is now also your job to offer this incongruent gift of grace. Mm -hmm. Um, You have been offered this grace of that you did not deserve. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people in your life. That so I've used that language and I don't like that. Okay. Um, and I've even used it today and I've been, re- I've been wrestling with myself throughout this entire story series. I don't like putting it in a context of whether or not we deserved it or not. But we did it. We used it on the. You used it on this episode just a few minutes. I ago. I know, I know, I know. I, that's why I said I've used it even throughout this story series. But I don't like it um, because I actually disagree with the premise. I actually think the fact. And maybe maybe I don't disagree with the language of deserve or not deserve. Maybe I disagree with the idea of putting it in a construct where we talk about it in that way. We definitely didn't earn it. Yes. And I I agree with the premise that we don't deserve it. However, If we don't deserve anything of it, it really limits how you view the image of God. If the image of God's not deserving of redemption, and it really becomes problematic in your theological anthropology. Um, Before we go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, we're... yeah. Because this this seems like a much larger conversation that takes a lot more to unpack. It will. Uh, For now, let's agree that we're not going to use the language of we didn't deserve it. We're going to use the language that we didn't earn it. Fair enough. Okay. I actually can work with that better, I think. Okay, good, good. You didn't earn the grace that God has given you. Mm -hmm. Why are you forcing other people to earn grace from you? Oh, oh. Yeah. I find myself doing that a lot. People wrong me. Yeah. They're going to have to prove themselves to me now. Yeah. That they deserve to be in my life. Fool me once. Yeah. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. No, 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 yeah. no, no, uh-huh. no. Yep. No, 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 no. If yeah. God took that language with us, <laughs> we'd all be screwed. Yep. Um, well, in the conversation that we had in our will... Um, today, this morning, I asked the question, you know, I just said, you know, if God has so freely given this grace to us in a way that we didn't earn it, um, why as fundamentalism and conservative Christianity had a historical pattern of demanding that certain people earn their grace. 
Because that's what we've done. Right. Well, you can be a Christian, but you can't be an alcoholic and be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Or you can come to church, but you can't dress like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or any number of other just heinous ways that we've done that. That we've tried to bar certain people from faith. Yeah. I mean, and we're we're seeing it now in some traditions more than others um, with the LGBTQ I was about to go community. Can't be gay and come to church here. Yeah, we we are we are literally turning an incongruent grace, we're, an incongruent gift, into a congruent one. Yeah, we're where putting the, parameters mm-hmm. on a grace that didn't have parameters to begin with. Correct. Yeah. Now there is, as we talked about in the first episode of this series, there is a reciprocity that comes. Sure. But it's not required for entry. Like that—that's the problem. Is it's not required for entry. Um, it's not like you got to pay membership dues, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> or, or maybe maybe better one is you don't have to pay a cover charge mm-hmm. to get in. Right, the door is freely open. You still got to buy your drink. Mm-hmm. Right, there's still like a reciprocity. There's a commerce that happens here that that's required for getting into the place. To getting into the club, I, I hate I that metaphor. Like that. Yeah. But there we is a the, we see what we're trying to say. There's like, an economy that comes from being in, right? Yeah. There's something you pour out of yourself because God's pouring into you, and so what you're pouring out must reflect divinity. But that pouring out's not required for entry. It's like a champagne tower. Pour in the top one, let it spill over into the other ones. Yes. We okay with this? Yes. I think so. At a very basic the, level. There's one thing that I want to I want to conclude this with. And if you're interested in this more, you can join us on Let's Talk tomorrow because we're going to start a whole series on this. I think what's happened is we have taken an incongruent gift and we made it a congruent gift. But it wasn't without, it wasn't void of a starting place. I'm beginning to wonder if this shift... doesn't have some sort of connection to Santa Claus because he's connected to Advent. Mm-hmm. Um, Santa Claus requires a congruent gift. Mm-hmm. You Being must do good. something good in order to get a gift. If, you do, if you're not good, you go on the naughty list and you get coal. Mm-hmm. It's a congruent gift. That's the same thing that we've done with Christianity. You can mess up, mm-hmm. but still end up on the nice list and yep. get a present. But there are some things you do that land you on the naughty list. You don't get it. Yeah. And I saw this thing today from the naked pastor. If you don't follow the naked pastor, you should. You should. 
Um, he's gold. And it's a picture of Santa sitting next to Jesus. And Santa has a glass of milk and cookies in front of him. And Jesus has a cup of wine and a piece of bread or matzah or something in front of him. And Santa Claus is looking at Jesus and he's speaking. And this is what he says. There's no way you can understand the pain of seeing something you began as a free expression of love being turned into a major commercial enterprise. <laughs> True, truer words have never been spoken. Um, I, I don't think anyone would ever say, because most people would never say that, they, that culture impacts their theology at all. Unfortunately, they're just wrong. Culture always impacts our theology and the way that we interpret and engage in theology. Of course. We have been given an incongruent gift. It's time we flip the script and give an incongruent.